Hey gang, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. On today's episode, I welcome in Bryce Conway, who is the founder of 10X Travel, and their website is 10xtravel.com. He's also the creator of Takeoff, How to Travel the World for Next to Nothing, and How to Fix Your Credit, Do It Once, Do It Right, Get On With Your Life. Bryce's work has been featured in multiple national media outlets, including Good Morning America, Money Magazine, and ABC Nightline News. Bryce created 10X Travel in 2014 and has been hanging out in the Points and Miles community since 2011. When not traveling, Bryce lives in Columbus, Ohio with his wife, Alexandra, and their three daughters. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation with Bryce where we go deep down the rabbit hole of travel and how you can travel with points and miles and book high-end travel for a fraction of the cost. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation. I know I did. Without further ado, please welcome in Bryce Conway. Bryce, welcome to the podcast. Good to have you, man. Brian, thanks for having me. Excited to be here and to talk to you today. Yeah, I'm I'm always interested to talk with, especially around travel, because it's something I want to do a lot more. And I know I've kind of eased into it a little bit. And I appreciate I have some friends that have kind of pushed me to, to travel more. So I'm, I'm partially, this is probably selfish. I'm, I'm gaining some insight from you here, <laughs> but also with, uh, with obviously a lot of folks that I talk with that want to travel more, want to get out there. Um, I thought it would be a fun spot to start because you obviously have traveled a ton in your life, especially over the last you know dozen years or so. Where was the last spot that you traveled? Yeah, that's a, that's a timely question. The, like the last significant trip that I took other than maybe like a weekend domestic trip or work conference or something. Uh, was, I, I took my family to Italy for about six weeks in June. We have made a bit of a tradition out of just piecing out of America generally right after, or, uh, or right as the summer is getting started right after Memorial day, spending four to eight weeks at some place in Europe, getting kind of the best Airbnb we can find. You know, I have three daughters who are relatively young, take my wife and we just go and we just chill and try to immerse ourselves in a, a local culture as much as we can. So not kind of hopping in eight cities in 10 days kind of thing, but more just mm. getting into one spot, trying to settle into a day-to-day routine. So the last trip that I, the considerable trip that I did was this year's version of that. We went to Italy and specifically we went to Puglia, like the region in the South. That's basically the heel of the boot. If you're looking at the, the map of Italy, the town in particular, we say that it's called Otranto. Picked it because it just looked like a nice little quaint beach town, very small, not a lot of tourism, uh, it, relatively inexpensive, great Airbnb options. And we stayed there for a little over a month and it's just incredible. You know, we were able to use points to fly business class there on Air France, pretty good product. And we really lucked out on the way home. We were able to score Emirates first using points. That's the one at the shower in the plane. Oh, You might've seen the commercials with Jennifer Aniston. Uh, got my entire family of five to fly that on the way home that was maybe the highlight of the trip. Um, but we just had a great time. I can't say enough about, you know, Southern Italy and, and just kind of getting off the beaten path a little bit, especially with the ones that you love and just, you know, using travel for, to improve your life in that way. We, we loved it. Wouldn't hesitate to go back. And I might at some point. So I have to ask then, especially with, you're talking about some of these airlines and, and what have you, and, and some of the points, what would the trip full throttle, like full retail price msrp what would it have cost roughly and then what did you end up paying if you're open to sharing 
Uh, yeah, I am. And I'll, I guess I'll add the quick caveat that a, that this particular trip I just did sounds egregious in in some ways it kind of is, this is kind of the, the top of the top that you're about to hear, not results, not typical, if you will. And B, I always have to mention that when you compare kind of the cash fares, it is a little bit deceptive because if you look like a one-way, you know, business class flight to Europe, that's going to be considerably more expensive than a round trip. Like if you're breaking it up divided by two, but to answer the question, it would have been many thousands of dollars uh, flying Air France business class to Europe during kind of like peak summer time. I'd ballpark it around $2,500 to $4,000 per person one way. So we got five of those tickets. Uh, I think we paid like $120 in taxes each. So call it twelve dollars to $15,000 there from the way there for a few hundred bucks. The way back is the one that's even more ridiculous because we were able to get Emirates first, which is arguably the best commercial product in the sky, mm -hmm. full stop. That's going to go for nine dollars to $14,000 per person. Uh, we were able to get it for using Emirates miles. And I think the taxes and fees were like 190 bucks each. So that was incredible. That's, that's a pretty rare find in the points and miles space. You got to be relatively flexible. In our case, we got pretty lucky that we had booked business class with points and there was availability to upgrade day, same day. But when you do points and miles and kind of learn how it works, there's many opportunities like this to just get incredible high-end travel booked for a fraction of the cost using points and miles. Okay. That opened up a lot of doors here. All right. <laughs> let me go down there. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you mentioned something and, and again, I haven't really heard of this or, or know the difference. So I'm just going to ask it. Maybe other folks have the same question. You mentioned the cash fares are deceptive. What do you mean by that? Yeah. Uh, they're deceptively high because most people are not booking a one-way cash fare for a business class. It's one of those things where maybe a round trip flight, first class Emirates, you know, USA to Italy might be 16,000 bucks, but one way might be $11,000. Hmm. So, you know, most people book around trips. So when I say, Hey, we got this one way flight for $190 and it would have been like $11,000. Yes. Technically that's the same flight booked in the same time on their website, but most people are not doing it in that regard. <clears throat> and, um, and the, the cash prices just sound outrageous. I, I find in kind of evangelizing for this hobby, if you will, if you tell someone like, Hey, we can help you save. 50 to 60% on travel, relatively open to it, right? Okay, I, I believe that's something that's in the realm of possibility. But when you when you start out with a, hey, flew a $15,000 airline flight product, if you will, for 190 bucks, you immediately get kind of put into that kind of scam, MLM mm -hmm. uh, type of world, and they just don't believe you at all. Mm -hmm. So that's where it can go uh, if you really play this game uh, you know, well and, and, and learn all the ins and outs. But I find it's easiest to start with kind of bite-sized advice, if you will. Well, how did you, and this, I'm kind of curious, I'm going to jump around a little bit because, you know, you started your infamous, if you want to share it, your infamous spring break trip back in 2011 that <laughs> kind of sparked this. And then the blog, I think it was around 2014. Did you find early on, like, you know, that's almost 10 years ago, people grasping that concept of these rewards cards and how to use those? Was that hard to get people on board with, wait a minute, what are you talking about here? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And for, for the reasons I kind of just mentioned, and I didn't know that when I was getting started, you know, I'll, I'll quickly tell the the story you mentioned kind of how things started was for my own use. I was a senior in college in Ohio. I wanted to go on spring break. I had less than a hundred dollars in my bank account. And my only source of income was that I was a campus tour guide. So I had very few options for spring break that were not going home and staying with my parents. So I just opened up Google, started running a few searches, like how to save money on travel, 
how to get airfare for cheap. I was trying to find some sort of like last minute opportunity where you could, you know, be a, a photographer for a family vacation or do some sort of like charity work and they'd subsidize your travel. Nothing like that existed. Uh, but my ads basically across the entire internet from that point forward were for airline credit cards, travel credit cards. And boy, did those look really appealing to a broke college kid who's trying to get out of snowy Ohio and go to Florida. So I just picked one that was offering like two free flights at the time. I applied. I'm like, there's probably no way I'm gonna get proof for this with my tour guide salary and the fact that I'm like 21 years old. Uh, I, you know, I am familiar with all the credit stigmas, like something bad's probably gonna happen. But I'm just thinking, you know what, I'm young, I'm dumb, I can make up this mistake later. I just want this thing now. So I applied for the card, they actually approved me. That was a shock. I jumped through the couple hoops to get the promised bonus. And it actually equated to two free flights, also kind of a shock, I wasn't expecting much. Use that to book just an epic trip first half of the week was in Florida, second half, we flew to Vegas and home for like $12 in taxes and fees. And then just thought to myself, like, Oh, wow, that was awesome. But like, what's gonna happen now? Where's the bad thing? So I'm waiting for someone to kind of like knock on my door, like the cops or for the bank to reach out and be like, Hey, you can't do that. Uh, or my credit score to fall or any of that. And nothing happened. In fact, all good things, credit score went up, bank sent me more offers for better cards. So I just thought to myself, like, why, why wouldn't I just do this every time I want to travel or kind of over and over again? So back to Google, more searches, things like, you know, open airline cards to get points and travel for free and et cetera. And that's when I stumbled into what was a small community at the time on Flyer Talk, down the rabbit hole I went, started kind of learning everything I could, became kind of like the go-to friend that people would reach out to when they had questions about their points. That just started snowballing, snowballing, and eventually led to creating a business and I guess where I, where I am today. So we all started though with my own a, you know, need to solve a problem and kind of a reckless attempt at a solution and then yeah. following that rabbit hole and getting me here. Yeah. Do you ever, well, I guess take this uh, and we can kind of go down this rabbit hole a little bit. Cause I think about when, when you were telling that story, it kind of reminded me, it opened my eyes. I guess I didn't realize this at the point back in college where I, it was a United mileage plus card and I'd got the application. I was like, Oh, I'll get a credit card to your point. I don't have any credit. I don't have money. I don't, what, I'll send it out. Well, what happened is they sent me two credit cards by accident. They sent me a second one. Well, here's what's funny. You'll laugh at this probably with all of the stuff you do. So I think it, I think it had like a $10,000 limit, each of them. And I called up. I said, hey, you sent me an extra one by accident. I need to cancel that or make sure it doesn't you know, affect anything. They're like, oh, I'll tell you what. We'll just combine them together. Now you have $20,000. And I'm like, wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> now, that wasn't good because wow. it got me into credit card debt. That's a whole other story. But... Um, I'm kind of curious as you think about like the credit cards, do you recommend folks are, are you doing one at a time? Are you doing multiple? Like, when do you cancel? Like, I have so many questions on this of like, what's the process with the actual credit cards now that we're kind of touching on that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's nuanced and it varies per person, but I'll, I'll try to speak kind of in generally to hopefully allow people to see themselves in this position. Most people do one card at a time. And you kind of just do it as your lifestyle allows. In, in, in particular, it's best to open new cards kind of around major purchases. So if you know that you have to get a new hot water tank or your kid is getting braces or kind of those expenses that you see coming, a few thousand bucks here and there, that's a great opportunity to open a new card, use that sudden expense to meet that minimum spend that's required to earn the bonus, earn those points. So you do that kind of selectively. In terms of closing cards, you just evaluate each card every year when the annual fee comes due, if there is one, 
and just ask yourself simply, is this card worth this amount of money for one more year? And some are, some are not. It, it does, again, vary on the situation. This is where most people get really scared about all the stigmas around like closing credit cards. You've probably had some sort of person in your life. And I'd be curious where these come from because we all have them, but no one can kind of pinpoint them. But someone in your life has told you like, oh no, you don't close credit cards. Like that's horrible for your score. It's going to completely ruin your financial future and all this kind of stuff. And it's just not true. There's a lot of half truths that are kind of mixed in with the credit score world. This is one of them. You, you certainly don't want to be just closing cards willy-nilly and for fun. But if you have many cards open and you want to close a, a couple of them because they're not offering ongoing value, particularly if they're not your oldest cards or like huge limit cards, the impact to your score is virtually none. So you, yeah, I, I wish I could give you kind of a more general like close this percentage of cards at this time and do this and that, but it really does vary based on the person. Uh, but that's something that most people learn as they kind of get to it. You don't have to make that decision before starting out points and miles. Well, you do make a good point. Cause I think a lot of this is our upbringing with, when you mentioned about like the closing the credit card. Yeah. I mean, it was something I was told maybe when I was younger and, and I had yep. that same idea of like, wait a minute, should I hold on to multiple cards? Even if I don't use them, like I just have them like sitting in a box there. Why would I close it? Like I have it. It helps my credit score, but it's like, you have so many things that help your credit score. I can't imagine one card closing is going to ding it a hundred points yeah. or something like that. You know, maybe it's a few, but even that, that's not going to most likely impact you at all. Exactly. Yeah. And, and what you mentioned is already past the first major stigma threshold of, of just kind of a fear of credit, mm -hmm. you know, closing cards aside, when I tell the average person, Hey, I have 10 credit cards open. Usually it's like a, Whoa, like it's like telling someone that, you know, I have a nuclear reactor in my basement. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Like, that's horrifying. No, from a credit score standpoint, there's really nothing that will improve your score faster than getting more available credit and like using it responsibly. So there's all these weird kind of collisions between like fear of credit card debt and then that carrying over to bad credit score advice. Like is opening 10 credit cards financially responsible? Maybe, maybe not. Some people might run into situations. From a credit score standpoint, it's probably gonna be great for your score, but people can't hold those two ideas in their head, like 10 credit cards bad, therefore bad in all the different ways. It's just not the way that credit scores work. Well, I think, you know, you get folks like like Dave Ramsey that I followed for a lot of years, like he'll say, don't open, you know, don't use credit cards, right? Millionaires don't use credit cards. And and I understand the logic of if you have a credit card, there's a chance you're going to spend more money than if you use cash. But at the same time, there is also a necessity. So it is kind of a this double-edged sword because there's a necessity to having a credit card, especially if you're traveling, like you don't want to get stuck where a debit card doesn't work. You need to have something you think from a security, right? I, I'm curious how you think about that, I guess. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of like the, the biggest piece that's going on here is that credit cards have a ton of upsides. There's a ton of reasons to use them. Enhanced protection on purchases, earning points. Like you're effectively, everything in the world becomes one to 2% cheaper when using a credit card. Mm -hmm because you're getting that amount of rewards back. However, the moment that you start to kind of accrue interest and let that snowball, all of those good things are wiped away. And it's difficult for, for people when they're sharing these ideas to kind of express that nuance, like credit cards, lots of good things, unless you do that, unless you do the bad thing, then it all goes away. So that's, that's where people get hung up. But yeah, if you, if you trust yourself to kind of maintain a budget or generally otherwise like financially on top of things, there's no reason not to use a credit card. But I'm people often kind of paint me as kind of the anti Dave Ramsey, like everyone <laughs> should use a credit card. Absolutely not. Like I've, I know plenty of people in my personal life who 
know that they they've had troubles in the past they know that they can't necessarily trust themselves to have access to that level of credit it's like great you should not be using credit and that's okay as long as we all are just on the same page of who it works for who it doesn't work for and kind of how and why everything works yeah i think that's a good point is like if you can control yourself if you're not getting in a ton of debt buying extra things and it might be relevant because again you can use the system to your advantage um to, to get the points. Are there any, like when you think of, cause I know there's so many different options out there. Like there's airline rewards. There's all these others that is there any specific, as you kind of think about travel that folks could consider, let's say they're trying to travel in 2024 things that they should consider looking at going forward. Yeah. I think that the best first piece of advice that I give is that you, most people, virtually all people, should not be using an airline or hotel branded credit card as their kind of go-to card. That ties you into one particular airline, one particular hotel, eliminates options for no reason. The better move is to use a card that earns what we call transferable points. These are points that can be transferred to a hand handful of different airlines and hotels, used to book other sorts of travel, kind of do everything type of tool. You know, some particular popular ones that I would recommend anyone looks into, Chase Sapphire Preferred is like the single best starter card entry point the just get started card for the there hobby you if you will american express platinum capital one venture city thank you cards uh, those are all going to give you many many different ways many different options to redeem your points but if you're you know you have the american airlines card the southwest card is kind of that primary in your wallet you're definitely missing out on value mm. and still paying a similar if not a higher annual fee for it and is that just because like let's say you have a southwest card or something you have to be you're stuck in in those travel times those travel restrictions you don't have the flexibility to look at multiple options kind of like you did with your trip to italy correct yeah you're you're just attached to that one airline you know there's options sometimes to kind of book partner flights you could have a united credit card use the miles you earn to book an air canada flight to europe for example like there's other ways that could be other airlines but the options are severely limited Whereas if you have a card of transferable points, like Sapphire in particular, the Chase Sapphire, that one, you can transfer those points to about a dozen different airlines and hotels, including Southwest. So what, what blows people's minds is to tell them the best card for, for Southwest use alone is not the Southwest credit card. It's something else. But we get so attached to these brands. You know, no one ever sees an airplane taxi by at the airport that says Chase Sapphire preferred airlines. So they don't kind of make that connection. But when you really dig into the mechanics of these cards, it's they're not even peers. It's it's transferable points up here, airline hotel right below it. Mm. Yeah, I didn't even consider that because I know Southwest is kind of the outlier. They kind of they have their own website. You you have to book through them. I, I yep. never would have considered if you didn't say that that you can go anywhere else. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, when you did your Italy trip, so you mentioned you said something earlier about Airbnb are. Are you using points to book that Airbnb then? Or is there another route? So I am not. Uh, I, I just paid cash for it like anyone else. There With Airbnb, it can be done on points, but it's generally less efficient. And this is a broad trend that you see across points and miles. You, If you try to use points and miles to cover every single aspect of a trip, they're not going to go nearly as far value-wise as they would if you use them kind of selectively. So different types of points and miles can do different things well. It's really a lot like your financial life. Can you buy a Chipotle burrito with your 401k? Technically, yes. Should you do that? Definitely not. Airbnb is kind of the same way. There's not a conventional points program that can get points from a credit card to be used for Airbnb. 
there are ways you can use points to kind of redeem for any sort of travel, cover an Airbnb, but you're getting maybe half the value that you'd be getting with other redemptions. So to, for my Italy trip in particular, I could have blown maybe three Emirates first class flights worth of points to cover the Airbnb for a week. But is that a good trade? Probably not. So that kind of gets into the more nuanced uses of points and miles. You can use them for about anything, but there's plenty of times when you probably shouldn't. Now, is this something I'm, I'm assuming maybe you do at 10x is in terms of knowing that what's that arbitrage there of I use this for this hotel, but I could use it for an air uh, flight next year. Like, how do you know what's a good deal or not? Yeah, so we we walk people through learning how to calculate cents per point. You just take the cash value of the thing that you're booking, like we talked about earlier with the Emirates flight. Look at the number of points required to book it and just divide points total divided by cash total and just see kind of what is your value per point. And I find that also kind of misses most people until you tell them, okay, let's say you have a free Starbucks drink, right? You got enough stars for a free drink. You're going to get a medium black coffee today, though. Are you going to cash in that free drink? Probably not, right? It's it's cheap. That's what $2.80. Pay cash. Keep that later for the, you know, the blended drink that you're going to get. It's going to be eight bucks or something like that. Most people are like, oh, yeah, I know that. I do that. Points and miles are kind of the same way. You'll look up how much something will cost in terms of points and miles. And it's like, okay, that's a flight from Ohio to Orlando, Florida. That would only be, you know, $250 in cash. Do I really want to redeem a Europe trip's worth of flight points for this? Or will I just pay cash and keep that for later? So this does start to get kind of down into the more nuance, the weeds. For folks listening who are kind of new to points and miles, I don't expect that to kind of stick initially in your mind. But the key takeaway there is that you just want to look to see what would the cash price be to determine is this a good time to use your points? So I'm actually curious. Maybe we'll do a fun exercise now I'm thinking about it. Um, so now I saw, tell me if this has changed. Your next destination is New Zealand. Is that right? Is that still the... That's where I, yeah, that's where I next want to go. I don't have that booked. I have other trips that are, are coming up before that. That's kind of like the thing that's high up on my bucket list. Though. Okay. Well, you could take that or another trip. What I'm curious is, so let's say someone's listening in. They're like, all right, I got a big trip going on next year. Where do I start? Are there certain areas when you look at travel, when you look at, I don't know if it's when you took, when you book airline flights, how you're looking at hotels versus Airbnb, any, we can kind of go broad spectrum here in different areas. I'm just sure. curious how you think about booking and travel yeah. and how, and then others can probably apply some of those lessons to their, their life. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess the first thing is you need to build a nest egg of points and miles. If you, especially if you want to travel next year. That means that you're going to be booking this potentially in the next few months, ideally. So you first get yourself a nice stash of points and miles. It's kind of obvious, not a, a lot more I'll say in that, except for to start now, makes things a lot easier. But let's assume that you have some options, like you have some points and miles to work with and you're looking at redeeming those. Then the process is really not all that different than if you're just paying for a trip of cash. Start by running searches to see how many points, like kind of the price and points, if you will, mm -hmm. a trip is going to cost. If you do this for just a little bit of time, you'll start to kind of see benchmarks like, oh, okay, that price seems higher than normal, or that one looks like a killer deal, or look for, you know, outlets such as our own to kind of tell you what to look for. But when you see a deal that you like, you grab it. Otherwise, you kind of have to play the waiting game and see your prices change. They can change on a dime. 
kind of speaking very generally, the best time to book trips with points and miles is either way in the future. So like 11 months ahead of travel, that's when flight schedules tend to open or very last minute, like within one month of travel. So, but if you're doing kind of the typical, oh, it's four to five months away, we're starting to think about it now. That's when it's going to be hardest to find your options because most people are also looking for those flights as well. Hmm, interesting. Okay. And I'm assuming that's just a supply and demand issue. Yes. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's and cash fares tend to work the same way as well. When you think about, and obviously you guys decided to do an Airbnb in Italy. Did you look at hotels? Was that just not because of where you went? They didn't really have hotels. Like what, how do you decide between a hotel versus Airbnb? Is that just more preference? It doesn't matter. Or I guess it comes down maybe to points you want to use if certain costs. Yeah. So, so it's kind of all of those things for, for my own decision in that regard, I'm trending more and more toward Airbnb simply because I have three daughters and I'm traveling with my wife. Yeah. And for anyone who's ever been particularly to Europe, the hotel rooms are not very big and they do not like occupancy above the listed maximum. So here, you know, in America, you can generally book any hotel. You can say that you have two adult travelers. You could roll in with like four kids and no one's going to say anything. You get a couple of rollaways, whatever. That's not the case in most other countries. So when we're looking at hotels, you know, I'm going to have to book two rooms. They're going to be smaller than an Airbnb anyway. They're generally going to be more expensive. Uh, and you don't get the kind of Airbnb feel like the kitchen, the like, let's wake up and have coffee at the dining table kind of thing. So I'm way more toward Airbnb. However, you know, points and miles can do amazing things in hotels, but you generally are restricted to booking standard rooms. And of course you're restricted to that hotel's footprint. So if you got a bunch of Hyatt points, which one of my favorite hotel points, fantastic. But when you go to search for Hyatt's in Italy, there might be like seven or eight of them in the entire country. So that kind of limitation makes that a little bit harder. It makes me lean toward Airbnbs, but there's plenty of examples of fantastic use cases and points and miles where you can book amazing hotels for very few points right in the middle of a city. Just depends kind of on the broader other areas of your trip. How do you uh, think about, so obviously if you're traveling, right, we've got the airlines, we've got the hotels. What about like the actual fun, the entertainment? So you're picking a spot. Because I, I find this is like the paradox of choice. There's so many options sometimes. It's like, what do I do? I'm there for a few days. Is there any recommendations of like finding the best, you know, certain review sites or ways that you find the best cool spots that maybe the tourists aren't going to? I don't know. Yeah, that, that's a great question. And one that I'm not incredibly confident in my ability to do <laughs> super well. And I don't know that anyone is. There's just too many options out there. Like TripAdvisor is usually where I'll start. Just kind of get an, a lay of the land but knowing that TripAdvisor tends to kind of overemphasize the super touristy things, right? Mm -hmm. If you look up things to do in New York City, TripAdvisor is going to tell you to go to Times Square and they're going to tell you to like go take a picture of Statue of Liberty. And like, these are great, but it's not cutting edge. Like what are the locals doing type travel stuff? Most recently, I've been using ChatGPT mm -hmm. and I just, I'll just tell it. Hey, I have 10 days of Toronto, Italy. I have three kids that are these ages. I have a car and I'm willing to drive two hours. Give me 10 ideas of things to do that are not, conventionally popular by most of their websites opinions and then that's where it'll that'll be kind of the first part of a thread that i'll follow and it'll give recommendations and then from there i'll go and i'll research and refine uh my my wants but yeah i never feel good about it it's hard to get rid of that feeling of fomo like when you travel to a place you're like oh man i, I have to do everything yeah. here because i might not ever be back and I'll, I'll feel so terrible if i don't get that photo or do that thing and so if someone's out there listening, looking to just get started on a business, please solve this problem for us. And like, we'll be forever grateful and you'll be forever rich. <laughs> That'd be amazing. 
how are you picking your, you mentioned these next spots that, that you'll go to, you can share or not, but like, how do you, how do you pick those? Cause you're not going to, I mean, you didn't say I didn't go to Rome. You went to Puglia, right? You decided this kind of a little off the beaten path. Like, how do you decide some of these places? Where, where do you get that information from? Or maybe they're just people are sharing that they had a good time there. I don't know. Yeah. A little bit of both. So I think the kind of general trend in our family's choices of where to go now is that we've been to most popular places that like the major European capitals, major Asian capitals. So we're to a point now we're kind of looking for those mid-sized cities where you have less of a tourist presence. Like my wife and I always say that our, our metric of choosing a successful spot is if someone asks us where we're from, because as you probably know, as an American, when you travel around the world, most people immediately know that's an American. Mm -hmm. But when they that when we're asked like, hey, where are you from? That implies, hey, there's not a lot of Americans or really Westerners that come here. This is a fantastic spot. We love that we're kind of in an area where we can immerse in the culture and not be hopping from, you know, McDonald's to McDonald's with a slightly different menu. So it's it's a fair amount of kind of just research, Googling, even just looking at maps and be like, oh, I wonder what's there. Zoom in a little bit on Google Maps, do some research. So, oh, that looks interesting. And then some of it comes from just seeing what other people do and going, wow, that trip looks incredible. One of the kind of side perks of, of the work that I do is I see so many people taking these amazing trips and their photos and what they thought about it. So I have this kind of archive going on in my mind of, oh, yeah, I remember that being mentioned a few times or, you know, people didn't seem to like this. It's almost like my own internal trip advisor, if you will. Hmm. I have a really, this is a side road question. I'm just more curious and I'll, I'll get to why. What, how long have you known your wife for? A long time. I met her the first, I think the first week of college. Okay. So we were 18. It's been, yeah, I mean, over a decade now. So she, I always, I always joke with her. She knew me before I was points rich. So uh, she <laughs> has come along this whole journey with me and we were both always into travel and this kind of took it to the next level. And she's been a key part in kind of shaping my travel identity, if you will. Well, that's what I was curious about is like, when you're like, oh, I'm going to build this business around these points and travel and stuff. Like, how was that conversation? I mean, I, and it, I guess what, what I'm always curious about is like, what if, if that spring break thing never happened? Cause you know, in life we always have, there's so many moments that we don't even know. we luckily, you know, took a right turn and maybe could have took a left and something else happened. But obviously we have these inflection points where we could pull back to, Oh, the spring break trip that started a, a new thread for you. What would you be doing if you didn't start, if you didn't start 10 X, like what would you be doing? Do you think now? <laughs> yeah, it's something I think about often. And short answer is I have no idea. I I've always had an inclination toward entrepreneurship, starting a business. I actually started and failed a, a salsa company before 10 X, but after the spring break. So while I was mm. kind of like growing into like the guy that everyone texts for points advice, I was trying to launch a snack food company that didn't work. Uh, so I probably would have, found some other thing that I could do, launch a company eventually. But, you know, I could also just be working in corporate banking or some other career. I I truly don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm really glad that circumstance happened and that things kind of fell into place and that I don't, you know, have to think about that question all that much. Wait, wait why, why salsa? Uh, <laughs> I'll keep it a little bit brief to, to avoid going down a side highway here. But I, uh, so I, I always have, had a like, kind of a knack of trying to like start companies and like think through things and uh salsa i i i love snacking on salsa particularly while i was in college and i i didn't and tell me if you're in this situation too what i'd find is i'd buy a new jar of salsa i'd open it i'd dip chips into it i'd eat till it's about half to two-thirds gone and then i would just stop eating the salsa 
not because I didn't want it, but because I was too lazy to either like put it in a bowl or I didn't want to like get the old salsa knuckles where you're trying to like, you know, maneuver to get the, the last few bites. So I decided, okay, I'm going to start, I'm going to fix this. We, we The whole thing was like, get rid of salsa knuckles. We, I think I actually technically still own like the trademark to that term. So we created a salsa company. We put it in like the temperate or the disposable packs that you get like on an airplane that has like cream cheese. Uh, so we put salsa in it. We called it game time salsa. We tried to go after like the live event space. Like we were the official salsa provider of a few baseball teams. Like it was uh, picnics. We were talking to airlines, trying to kill the salsa jar, if you will. And the costs were just too high to have like single serving packets of salsa. The shelf life was shorter. Uh, margins in food are really small. It's hard to break into as a small business, but we tried and we went all in on that for a couple of years and uh, took off quickly and then just completely fell in its face. Wow. And that was, yeah, the salsa company. That was fun times. What was there a big lesson you learned from that that helps grow 10x travel? Many. Uh, I feel like that could be its own episode. <laughs> uh, I think the biggest one was that people are not always going to act rationally. And that was a big learning too, I suppose, with 10x. Like I started with by trying to sell an ebook for I think it's 49 bucks. And I promised uh, as part of the, the sale, like if you can't get a free flight's worth of advice out of this ebook, I'll just give you your money back. No questions asked. And I assumed to myself, like that is a rational trade that any human should make. 49 bucks for the promise of a free flight and then some. And I just I just assumed this is going to spread like wildfire because of that value prop. And it did horribly. And mm -hmm. it, it's like, oh, that's odd. And then I should have known that because same with salsa. It's like, hey, this is people are choosing this in blind taste tests. They're choosing it in consumer review groups, if you will. Why are they buying it? It's because people will tell you one thing. But when it comes to actually spending their money, that's what will tell you their true intention. And you can't always take people at their word. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I remember I had a, a near a all on a little while back, his second time on, and he mentioned that exact same thing. He's like, people will tell you their, their money that's kind of one of the big contributors of how they make decisions. As much as they tell you one thing, that'll, that'll determine if it costs something that's, you know, and I think that's why, like when you ask friends or colleagues close to you, like, Hey, what do you think of this idea? You got to be really thoughtful about, well, they might say, Oh, it's a great idea. You should go forward with it, but they're actually not going to buy it most likely, you know, but they want to give you that encouragement. Right. It, it, it's truly, it feels like the same dynamic as like the, the group trip that never makes it out of the group chat. Yeah. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. Oh like, yeah. Hey, let's go to I've Vegas. Plenty of those. Yeah. It's 500 bucks each. Everyone's like, yeah, definitely. It's like, okay. Venmo request comes across. Oh, suddenly you're not getting it to come in. And these are your friends, you know, with business, you have to sell it to strangers at some point. So to always be cognizant of that people, people mean, well, people will tell you what they think that they'll do, but until they're actually paying you money for something, especially if it's a premium product, you don't necessarily know how it's going to fall. What are, um, so we've talked about a lot of obviously some positive stuff here with how to get some cards and, and some things to look at for travel. What are some of the gotchas, some things people should be thinking about as they go into maybe getting rewards cards or thinking about travel, anything that has come up recently that you've seen some folks struggle with? Yeah, tons. I, I feel like what, what we do at 10 X and what I've been doing for the last decade here is, is more of kind of a psychological helping people think through problems and less like actual tactical. Here's how to do this. So the biggest gotcha is that there is a wide range in the value of different types of points and miles. So if I tell you a hundred thousand Delta miles and a hundred thousand chase off reward points, most people would say, Oh, it's kind of similar, similar value, but 
coins and miles are really like different international currencies. Like one of them might be a third of the value of another. It, the, the numbers will look the same. Uh, you, one of them might be connected to a brand that you have an affinity for, but you have to look at that one layer deeper and say, what is the actual value of these points? Best way to do that would just be Google. Like what is the value of a Delta mile versus this? And you'll start to see major differences. So I think kind of speaking generally, anyone who's kind of getting into this should just be broadly aware that the credit card marketing space is filled with half truths that are designed to deceive you like that, like a, a card that's offering twice as many miles or one that, you know, might have like no, you know, no blackout dates, something like that, but, but what's the trade-off? There's always some sort of other thing that you have to consider and look at the entire value stack to make a decision on what is best. Otherwise you're going to be, I always say it's like the grown up equivalent of like, Hey kid, you have two pennies. I have $1. Do you want to trade? Cause two is better than one. That's still happening to adults. It's just in credit card marketing. And a lot of people are, are sadly falling for it. Mm. Okay. So that's really good. Uh, thinking about the value of the points, any other things that consider that that's kind of come up recently? Yeah, I think a few more. One of the things is expect flack from friends and family when you start to kind of get into points and miles. We see when people get into the hobby, they tend to, like many things, enter this kind of evangelical phase once it clicks for them. You kind of like you book your first trip on points like, oh, my goodness, this actually works. And then you'll be at Thanksgiving or at happy hour or whatever. You'll be singing the praises of points and miles. And you're going to be shocked that people, A, still think that you're wrong or like going to be a little bit skeptical about it, which is natural. And B, you're going to be resistant to that. And that's okay. That's arguably why all of this works. If everyone kind of jumped on it, it might fall apart. Um, but be ready for that. Be ready to kind of uh, be confident in what you're doing and and be ready for those kind of pushback because because they will come. Still happens to me after having done this, you know, a decade for a business. Uh, the same goes for uh, like a partner. We call it player two. This would be like a spouse, significant other, roommate, someone that you're traveling with. It's it's natural to get some hesitation from them. I got some from my wife that you kind of mentioned earlier until after a few trips and say, like, okay, this actually works. So be ready for that. Be ready to kind of make some small mistakes here and there. That's okay. It's a kind of a lifelong learning process. And sooner you just get started, the faster you'll learn and the more you'll accomplish. Do you encourage it? You make a, a great point with the player too, because sometimes they're not involved as much, maybe in planning a certain trip. Do you encourage bringing them in early on and saying, hey, here's what I'm thinking of doing. Here's why this is going to work. Here's some things we got to look out for just so they can actually be involved in that process. Short answer, yes, but I'll add and know that a lot of times they might not be immediately taken to it like you are. And that often it works out better. So you should, of course, keep keep them posted. Like, here's what I'm doing. Here's why it works. Here's a bunch of examples of people who've done it before me. Here's kind of the entire lay of the land, if you will. You're probably going to get a glazed eye response and a bit of skepticism, which is, again, a good thing. From there, just ask that they trust you. And it's easier if one person's kind of doing that strategy to manage everything with the other person, of course, helping out with like, where do we want to go? When do we want to go? What like type of trip do we want to take? But having one person do most of the points and miles efforts themselves. That's what we find works best. And, and candidly, in most, most cases, until that first trip happens on points and miles, you're still going to get a bit of like hesitation and skepticism. Just remember, that's a good thing. Keep them posted, show them why, and after that boarding door closes on the first award flight, then it's usually like, ah, okay, on board, good to go. Okay, yeah, that's a good thought. And because I think that's, 
I mean, I, I think back up plenty of times. We'll even go to the to the like guys trips. Actually, I get, I do give credit. I remember one of my friends many years ago. Like we use Southwest like the points, and he was like, "Hey, get a card, and then you can use that to buy." You know, so I I've done this a couple of times, so I know it works. I just haven't done mm-hmm. it at a, an extent. That's one of the reasons I want to have you on. I know it works. It's just a matter of the extent you can do it. it seems like you could really lack of a better phrase, 10 exit and go and go yeah. and go more. Right. <laughs> if you really put your time and energy into it, especially if you're a big traveler, I guess, you know? Yeah, for sure. And and I guess I, that, that prompts me, I, I will say it can be easy when you're just starting out at something to be intimidated by the types of things that you heard just earlier in this podcast, you know, first class Emirates flights, tens of thousands of dollars on points, like complex booking. That seems way too much for me. Don't worry about getting there yet. Worry about saving 50% on the next trip to Chicago or getting one free hotel night in Florida. Just shoot really, really small. And when you accomplish that, you'll start to see how the path keeps on going forward. But if you, from day one, are wondering, you know, like, hey, I want to get into jogging. I'm watching these people run Ironmans. Like, I don't think I can ever do that. Therefore, I'm not going to get into jogging. You've sold yourself short. So start with little tiny goals and you'll get there. Awesome, man. All right. I want to end on, I got some rapid fire uh, this came sure. in some, some of these from the audience and we'll kind of go through, you can go deeper into the, some of these, but um, all right. And you've kind of touched on some of these a little bit, but so what's the best credit card for travel and perks right now? I'll start with the caveat that it's going to be different for each person. Right. If I had to give one answer though, I think the Chase Sapphire preferred card is like the single first get this and start down the hobby path card. Okay. Low annual fee, very usable. That's that'll get, that'll get going. What's your favorite hotel chain that you use? I would say Hyatt. Hyatt's award chart is is by far better than any other hotel. And by that, I mean, you can book some of the highest end Hyatt's in the entire world for 35,000 Hyatt points per night. The highest end Hilton's in the world would be 170,000 Hilton points per night. Same with like Marriott Bonvoy. Hyatt being so much more affordable from a points perspective just opens up a ton of options for most travelers. Mm. What's your favorite airport? Domestic and or international, you can you can choose. Ooh, that's a great question. I like Denver, I guess. Some for kind of like the the weird culty, yeah. you know, type of like culture that it has. Fantastic lounges, tons of uh, beautiful scenery and flight options. Uh, that's the one that I would pick. But really, I don't know if I'm getting to where I need to go. I'm I'm not super picky. I'm more looking toward lounges. Okay. Well, let that, let's go there to the next one. What's the, when you think of lounges, cause I think, and, and someone made a mention of this about like Delta sometimes making it harder to get into lounges. What's your experience on lounges? Again, is that something do you use points for, or is that based on the flight you book? How does that all work? Yeah. So it could be both. My experience with lounges is that they become almost like a necessity as part of my travel, especially traveling with kids. The best way to get into lounges is by holding some sort of premium credit card that gives you access to them. Platinum card by American Express is probably the single best one. It's expensive, but when you look into it, like what you get, and of course, lounge access, it's quite worth it. You will get lounge access if you're booking like premium cabin travel. Most people are not doing that with cash. Um, you can buy day passes on occasion. They're quite expensive. I would encourage everyone, just try a lounge one time. You'll see what kind of all the hype is about, and you'll see if it's something that's worth paying for. Most people that we see who try it once, it becomes a thing, and then it that's part of your trip. Do you get, so you mentioned something there about the premium cabin lounge, if you buy it with cash, if you buy it with points, you may not get those same perks you're saying, or? Uh, 
potentially you no could. you will sorry oh. uh you, you'd get if you're if you're flying premium cabin over an ocean you're generally going to have lounge access oh, okay a lot of people lounges have tightened up delta being one of the best examples of it because you're seeing overcrowding in a lot of lounges and people waiting in lines and they don't like that so if you're flying you know first class from florida to somewhere in the caribbean you're probably not gonna have lounge access it's getting tighter and tighter but if you're carrying a super premium card or traveling over an extended ocean uh, on a cash fare, you're generally going to have lounge access. Okay. And you, you mentioned earlier about, you know, best time maybe to book is like a month out from the trip or like 11 months plus. Is there a best website where you would go to actually book that you're seeing? Yeah. from a, I assume you mean from a points and miles perspective. Uh there, it's getting better. So the hard thing about points and miles is that there's no great aggregator sites that show all you all of your options. Like there's no Google flights for points and miles. That's not an accident. Airlines restrict the ability for uh, other websites to crawl that information because they don't want you to redeem your points super easily. It's kind of part of the game. Yeah. There are a flurry of new tools that have launched lately that are using scraping technology to solve this. Like my favorite ones right now, probably Rome, R-O-A-M-E, seats.arrow, these do a, I'd say an 85% job of scraping airline sites and getting prices back for you, but you still ultimately have to search on the site of the airline that you're going to fly with. Mm, okay. So, so, you, so the only tough. way you're really going is, do you like Google? I mean, I guess flights.google.com or whatever, is that, do you like that interface there versus going strictly to like Delta or something? I always use it to start there, but then I'll, I'll only use that to refine my search and then go to the airline website that seems to be the best fit okay. so yeah i wish once again i wish someone could kind of perfectly solve that problem it hasn't been solved yet but for now that's kind of where we're at all right well we got something we can work on then there we go there we go <laughs> we can always improve <laughs> um price this is a lot of fun any final thoughts insights um things people should think about anything to kind of wrap up our conversation uh, conversation yeah I, many but I'll, I'll try to distill it down i think biggest thing at least from a points and miles perspective is like just get started don't worry about making the perfect move. Don't worry about planning some super elaborate trip. Just shoot for a very, very easy to accomplish goal. Hit that and then see where it takes you. Not for everyone, but that will tell you if it's for you. For those who are kind of sitting on the fence with like the just get started, I resonate with this message. Just get started. Like when I started this company, I, I almost use air quotes, at the time it was not a company. I took an email that I'd been sending people with kind of the basics. I like right click, save as PDF formatted a little bit for an ebook and tried to sell it for 49 bucks. It, it completely crashed on its face, did not work. People thought it was a scam, but that led to kind of the next thing and like a pivot in the business model and then more and more growth and more and more recognition. I had no idea what that path looked like before I got started, but if I wouldn't have just taken that very first step, I would have never seen the second step and third step. So for anyone who's kind of sitting out there and thinking, hey, I have this thing that I want to pursue, but I just don't see how this goes any farther than X, or I don't see what I'm going to do after this. That's okay. Take the first step, get to see where you might be able to see a second step. Things will work out from there. And travel as much as you can. We, you know, we've recently pivoted our messaging at 10X away from kind of like the aspirational trip, like beautiful beaches kind of uh, approach that most travel marketing does. And now we're going more toward the idea that travel just makes you a better human. Most people, if given the ability to travel, which points someone else can do, don't use it for these super elaborate beach trips with like luxury hotels. They use it to go see family that they haven't seen in months. They use it to go home for Thanksgiving when they wouldn't have mm. those types of things. So try to do travel for those purposes. High-end trips are fantastic, 
but I encourage everyone just do it for the simple reason that it makes you a better human being. Awesome, Bryce. Those are some uh, great thoughts. 10xtravel.com. That's the best spot to, to get everything. That's the spot. Yeah, we have a free course that teaches all the basics of points and miles. Uh, so we'll make all that learning process easier for you. We also have a massive Facebook group. It's a little over 280,000 people now where everyone's sharing trip ideas, asking questions. We make it as easy as possible to get the most out of points and miles. Wow, that's insane. How do, what, do you remember, just random to, to end on like your inflection point, because you mentioned the ebook didn't hit off. It took a while. You kind of pivot a little bit. When did you really start seeing like this kind of uptick? Do you remember that? Yeah. Like kind of, is that, is that branded I, in your I, head? I do, of when that yeah. Happened? It's, a, it's a timely question because I just, we just had our staff summit. So I did presentations on kind of company history. So a lot of it's fresh and actually made graphs of like huge inflections. And a lot of it was 2018, 2019 kind of getting better at digital marketing, refining our message, kind of pivoting away from that whole like tens of thousands of dollars of travel for just a little bit of money and bringing it down to something that's more mentally digestible by most folks. And just continuing to to put the reader first. I guess if, if I, I would add one more thing to kind of your final thoughts for, for folks, especially looking to just get started in something, find a way to help people first and the money will find you. If you chase money first, you probably won't catch it. And that's what we've done for the longest time, kind of thinking long-term, how can this help our users? And some of those decisions serendipitously have led to much more growth than we would have had if we chased short-term profits. We got lucky in that regard, but we try to think about that going forward as much as we can. Awesome. Bryce, this was a lot of fun, man. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on here and uh, and sharing a lot of this wisdom. I know it'll be helpful for folks coming in the new year. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, Brian. This was a lot of fun. I, I hope folks get a lot out of this and feel free to reach out anytime. I'd be happy to help you with your particular situations as well. Hey, everyone. And just one more quick thing before you head off on your day. If you're enjoying this podcast and are looking for other resources and tools to help you get started and move forward toward a happier and more fulfilling life, then I'd encourage you to head over to my website, brianandraco.com, and hit the subscribe button in the upper right corner. There you can find my newsletter and blog subscriptions, where I share insights and information around getting unstuck, perspective, mindset, relationships, habits, and much more. If you get a chance to sign up, I hope you enjoy. Thanks again for listening in and have a phenomenal day.